Wallace pulls at the thick, dull jute, lets it fall into the large barrels. The rollers revolve at various speeds, fleecing the jute with metal pins before it is condensed into the fiber they call silver. Silver, as if there might be something beautiful, something breathtaking about it all. Instead, there is this. Women crammed into small, close rooms, heat, dust, and fumes of grease and oil, noisy machinery that makes ears ache and heads throb with the constant whir and din. Wallace looks down the row of girls at their carting machines, each surrounded by barrels, quickly filling with the silver. She has learned enough about them in her years at the works to feel that she knows each of them as she might know a friend, a sister, Lottie Duncan with her three small children and absent husband, Elsie McRae with her hard, difficult mother and her ailing grandmother, Jean Grant, another young union member, May Abernathy with her lost fiancé, her unending, unflinching hope. Wallace does not need to be clairvoyant to know how all their lives will end. They will stay, work, and find themselves slowly, painfully dying from bronchitis, pneumonia, or some other respiratory disease. She holds a hand to her chest, as if she might be able to feel the rumblings of disease there. Mill fever. God help me. Wallace tugs at the jute and lets it fall through her fingers. The jute might be something else, something kind and lovely, if she were only able to shut herself off to the carding room, the gossip between the women around her, the whine of the machines. Been to any dances, Wallace? May asks over the din. She is a few years older than Wallace, and pretty, with dark hair and light eyes. She smiles. No. Kero hasn't dragged you out? Not lately, but I'm sure she will. Kero is always begging Wallace, always suggesting that Morag trust them more when they go out together. Usually, though, it is Kero who dances, and Wallace who stands at the side, watching her sister spin in the arms of another man, left behind by the war. She has watched these men, their broken, ruined limbs, an arm that will no longer bend, a leg that is permanently stiff, stilted, or worse, a man who has been bombed and blasted into silence and felt a slow, sad sinking. Wallace says, Any word from Peter? May's eyes well up, and Wallace immediately regrets the question. May says, No, in a voice barely audible. Wallace closes her eyes to the broken-apart look of May's face. She knows that look knows the pained feeling behind her pale eyes. She is about to say, I'm so sorry, May, when there is a crack, a loud, hard sound in the air around them. The chatter of the women stops just as suddenly. Wallace is absolutely still and silent for a moment, before she hears the cry, the long, anguished cry of someone in unbearable pain. May breathes. Good God! Wallace does not look down the row of women in the direction of the cry. She does not see Elsie caught in the carding machine. 
She will not know how to explain it later, but she does not want to see her tangled body. A body that she will later be told had been bent, broken, trapped by the rollers, and the possibility of her own future. Such accidents are possible, probable, and Wallace does not want to commit the scene to memory. Wallace takes a step backward, away from the other women who are rushing forward, burdened with their unfortunate curiosity. She is paralyzed with fear at the possibility of the sight of Elsie. Elsie's eyes, her body wrenched into the machine, and the sheen of her dark, polished boots. Wallace counts the buttons on her own boots. One, two, three, and gets to six before the men rush in, mumbling and cursing as they try to pull Elsie free.